0: another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your colleague in medicine, coach in life, queen of dragons, mother of dragons, queen of burnout. Excuse me. I got my titles reversed. <laughs> Dr. freaking Aaron Wiseman. And today I am talking with Dr. Chauvin Key. She is here to talk to us about weight, both being an obesity medicine physician and also being a weight loss coach for female physicians. huh what a great combination. I love what she's doing with body positivity and focusing on compassionate and sustainable change. We all need that because we got to change this freaking diet culture that we've all been submerged in. Well, anyway, listen to our conversation. It's a good one. I promise. And then hopefully you take away as many tidbits as I did. All right, here we go. Welcome back to the podcast, my friend, fellow coach, and colleague, Dr. Siobhan Key. It's great to have you here with me today. Oh,
1: Thanks so much for having me, Erin. It's exciting to see you again. It feels like it was a long
0: time ago. It does. It feels like forever. Okay, for people who are just picking up on Dr. Me First, tell them about yourself and the magic you are putting out into the world. Sure. So
1: I'm Siobhan Key. I'm a practicing family and obesity medicine physician up in British Columbia, Canada, kind of northern Canada. A little interesting piece about me because I know not everybody lives a life like this is we have a mom bear and four cubs that have been living near our yard. <laughs> so almost every day they're coming through our yard right now. Anyways, just to make myself sound really rural for you guys. But I'm also a coach for physicians who are working on their own eating and weight. So I host a podcast called Thriving as a Physician, How to Lose Weight and Love Your Life. Previously, it was called Weight Solutions for Physicians, if anybody's listened to it before, I just changed the name. And the focus is really on helping physicians find lasting solutions where they have peace with food, not always obsessing over what they should or shouldn't eat, and yet getting success in the weight loss goals that they want while also creating a life they love. Because the two go hand in hand all the time.
0: Absolutely. Because like you were talking about before we jumped on the recording, you know, sustainable change doesn't come from hating your body. Totally.
1: And it doesn't come from hating what you're doing. Like I think, and we're going to talk about this, but sustainable change doesn't come from, okay, I think I can hang in with these changes I'm making, and I'm just going to like power my way through, but not really like what I'm doing with the hopes that at some point, I'll be able to just accept that this is what I'm doing. That doesn't work and it doesn't last.
0: Yeah, and I think, especially as physicians, it's challenging because that's what we've done. Much of our medical training is just like, if I can just hang in a little longer, if I can just hang in a little longer, it'll click.
1: Oh, absolutely. We're so good at the overworking piece, right? Like we can push ourselves beyond our human needs like sleep and eating and pee breaks and keep going. And we know how to put our heads down to work. So as physicians, we often apply that to our weight loss and we just try to work harder and harder at it. But the problem is, is at some point we hit a busy week where we don't have the capacity to work hard at our weight loss and also perform at the level we need to. And so the our goals and our weight loss and stuff falls to the side And then we feel frustrated at ourselves, generally beat ourselves up, tell ourselves that we failed. But the reality is what we were doing was just never sustainable because it couldn't be continued during our busiest weeks. It took too much effort and work. And so I think that's a unique thing for physicians is how we design our way of approaching weight loss. It needs to fit into those busiest weeks. It needs to be something you can actually do when you haven't slept because you've been on call, when you you know, are running and barely have time to eat, you need to have structures in place at work without extra effort and time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we're just human too, and really not that much difference from our patients. And so since we're both family medicine, I know that I get hit, you know, we're just ending the summer months here in the U.S. And so, you know, everybody wants the beach body and they were coming in for weight loss. Talk a little bit about like how to approach those conversations with compassion with our patients.
1: So as a physician, when you want to help a patient with weight or eating issues, there's kind of two different categories you might get. Number one is a patient is directly coming and asking for help. And in some ways, that's an easier conversation. Number two is where you see a patient who has excess weight, where it's impacting their health. And you're thinking that it's a conversation that you maybe should have, but you're not sure how to have. So, the first one, an overarching rule, anytime you're talking to a patient or anybody else about weight, is never assume that they're not doing anything. I think this is a place. In my work with obesity medicine, I see a lot of harm that has come from interactions with patients with obesity and interactions with other physicians and other healthcare providers. And a big one is where they go in really working and maybe even having lost a little bit of weight or having made significant changes to their eating. And it's assumed because they have extra weight that they're not doing anything. And I think it's a way that weight bias sneaks into medicine, uh, is that there's this assumption if somebody has extra weight, that they're not working on it or working on creating changes. There's an assumption that they do eat unhealthy. There's a lot of different things like that. So start with not assuming. Start with asking where they're at and what they've been doing, what's been working for them, where are they struggling. I think is the best place to start a conversation without the risk of creating more harm. If the patient has not brought it up, then it's a discussion that you need to ask permission for. So just barreling in and telling somebody they have to lose weight is not necessarily helpful. So starting with, you know, this is a condition where extra weight is associated with it or where some weight loss could be helpful. Is this something that you would be interested in talking about? And getting the patient's permission to proceed is really important.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that goes in so many sensitive subjects is, you know, asking for that permission piece. Assumptions. It's amazing how many we all have just unconsciously that, you know, There's studies that show doctors assume fatter bodies don't exercise. That fatter bodies are not as intelligent. That fatter bodies consume more calories than thinner bodies, and those are just incorrect assumptions. Yeah, totally. It's
1: weight is so complex. The other piece, just while we're talking about kind of weight bias and really being aware of it in our own practice, because here's the thing: like we can have very positive thoughts and progressive thoughts about weight. However, we've all been raised in a society where weight bias is extremely prevalent. And so, basically, even like even those of us that do obesity medicine and like learn and write exams about weight bias still have weight bias. And so we need to be aware of where it's showing up. And one place that it does show up and that patients notice and kind of complain about is the idea that every illness is related to weight. So if you're a patient with significant obesity, often your experience of going to the doctor is that most things are said, well, this is related to your weight. Like you yeah, have back pain, you need to lose weight. You've got knee pain, you need to lose weight. You've blood sugar's going up, you need to lose weight. You've got some weird pain, maybe it's related to your weight, right? Like it's, and so they start to also anticipate that. And sometimes it can get in the way of seeking care. And so, it's an important piece to remember that just because a body is larger, it still can have all the stuff going on. And it still warrants going through the steps of investigating and doing a good workup history, physical. People with extra weight are less likely to be physically examined, too. And so, just... You know, being aware of, like, are you doing the same approach for larger patients as you are smaller size patients?
0: Absolutely. That brings up a couple different thoughts. One, I recently had a patient establish with me, and, you know, she said she was having right knee pain. And she's like, yeah, because it's probably I need to lose weight. And I was like, are you sure? You know, and like you said, just doing what we do well. And of course, I got an x ray, and I was like, no, you have a bone chip. Floating around within your knee cavity. That is why you're, you know, why you're hurting. And then, secondly, recently, I love to do to trim toenails, like some people's jams or eyeballs and vaginas. Mine are feet. I don't know why, but I do it for anybody who wants me to, not just my diabetics. And I had one of my patients. And so, what I do is I just use an Emerson Basic, fill it with warm water. You know, throw some Hibiclens in there. You know, clean it real good. Get the nails soft, trim them, and then I like use a Dremel and file them down. This other so real nice. And for my old ladies, I'll paint them if they want me to. I have this real sexy pink that I put on. For my guys, I you know I ask them if they want it, but I haven't had anybody take me up on it. But then I just use some just like real good moisturizer on and kind of like you know, I'm a D.O. So do a little bit of Do techniques on their calves and ankles and feet. And it was one of my patients uh who is who does he identifies as a fat as a fat body. And he was just so thankful. He was and he kept apologizing for his legs and his feet. And I was like, they're just feet, dude. But like the power of touch, so important. And I think even more so for folks who probably have been traumatized by the medical system at you know any point along the way just so important to just lay hands on them, even if it's not always like diagnostically with permission, of course. It's just, you know, I felt like that probably deepened our doctor-patient relationship. Uh, I would like to come see
1: you. <laughs> that sounds amazing.
0: <laughs> I'm like, uh, sorry, massage say, techniques to I, the I, I can't ankles say and that cow. I'm like, is, they're not as nice as like the, if you go to the nail salon. But hell, they're pretty damn good for a doctor's office.
1: That sounds amazing. Yeah, totally. Like, I think, and what we're working to, I think it's always important to be aware we have weight bias when we come to visits. The patient has weight bias. So, again, that same patient that has lived their life in a larger body has also lived a life in a weight biased society. And so they have experiences and thoughts about their own body that is influencing that interaction too. And I think I think you and I are going to talk more about it, but as much as we can working on alleviating our weight bias, absolutely, but also helping that patient alleviate their weight bias, normalizing their experience. And working on coming at any treatment that we do do from a positive (laughs) standpoint, uh, instead of the patients come to us wanting help with their weight because they think there's something wrong with them because they have extra weight. Yeah, let's go there to fix a problem.
0: Definitely. So managing those concerns of like, Doctor Key, I must lose weight, and then you kind of get into their why, and it's not always the most. I don't want to say positive. I don't want to say healthy. Just not not on course as far as for sustainable weight loss. What do you do with that?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's almost never on, it would be really uncommon for people to come with a really positive, like, I love myself, but also I want to do this. And that comes back to just the the world we live in. Uh, So I think I almost assume that there's probably some negative self-talk and self-beliefs in almost everybody that I work with in obesity medicine. So I think the big thing is, if we come back to, okay, you know, what type of weight loss are we interested in helping patients with, right? I think comes is an important piece. Patients come to us conditioned in a diet mentality world where they just want to get weight off as quickly as possible. And like I mentioned at the beginning, we've been taught not to lose weight in a way that we like. We've been taught to just do what it takes, stick to the diet, choose the most restrictive diet because it'll get the weight off faster and then you'll figure yourself out. The problem is, is that figuring yourself out doesn't really work. At some point you lose the focus. And again, it's not due to lack of trying or laziness or any of that stuff. It's that our brains don't want to do stuff that makes our life kind of horrible, for any length of time and the fact we can stick to a diet that we really don't like and that's taking tons of our energy for weeks is actually pretty impressive when you think about it like how many other things do we stick to that we really hate for weeks that like permeates every aspect of our day i can't think of anything else so it's changing the conversation i think is really important of you know, they haven't failed multiple times, they've been successful, because again, almost everybody that comes to you will have tried multiple times and multiple different ways of losing weight. They've been successful, they've just been missing the skills that are going to help them stay successful. And so we as physicians, I think our interest from a health perspective is ongoing weight management. And I use that term weight management, because it's not lose weight, and then you just have this nice little flat line of maintenance it's that you have the skills and the tools and you help your patients with them so when there are those fluctuations those fluctuations don't mean that you know they regain everything that they lost and you know totally give up it just means it's a normal fluctuation just like if we think about blood pressure sometimes we see patients and we're like oh your blood pressure is kind of up seems to be staying up okay what are we going to do to manage it let's try drinking less beer at night. <laughs> let's try getting out for walks. Did that work? No, Okay, then let's use a medication, increase your doses, use those tools. And down the road, sometimes you pull that those tools back. It's but you're managing the blood pressure. You're not curing the blood pressure.
0: Yeah, I think that's I see, really
1: important when it comes to weight.
0: I see a huge parallel in my practice of addiction medicine is that recovery goals aren't always substance free. Right, like recovery goals can be decreased use, they can be harm reduction methods, they can be any number of things that is working the patient in a direction that they wanna be. And I have to remind people when they return to use, it's not like starting back at zero. I had a gal the other day that uh, it's like, okay, this is just where we're at. You have the tools, we, we have a relationship to, you know, make adjustments and pivot from here. And I think you so eloquently put it with with weight management as well is like, you don't have to yo-yo. You don't have to go from one extreme to the next. You can just remember like life is cyclical and there's seasons and, and that is okay.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much parallel, right? Because the mindsets I think between addiction and eating can be very similar. Plus a lot of people with eating do you identify with sugar addiction too? And that whole thing of I've failed, therefore I'll never be successful. So like, I've been so, this is what you hear from, I've been so careful with my eating. I've been so good. good. And we're using air quotes for those on the pod <laughs> that are listening to the podcast. I've been so good. And then I totally went off the rails this weekend and, and you, Beat yourself up so much. And here's what, where coaching comes into helping patients with weight and physicians do the same thing, by the way. So if you're a physician listening and you do that all the time, the place that keeps us off the rails is how we talk to ourselves about those food choices we made. And I'm sure it's the same for addiction. It's yeah. how you talk to yourself about the relapse determines, do you just get back to the skills and the tools that were are working? Or do you stay in that state of feeling out of control and continuing with old habits? We think tough love is the route through, and I'd be interested to hear about your thoughts on this for addiction. So we think when we've overeaten, the route to get back on track is to talk really toughly with ourselves. Like, you shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. Why did you do that? You need to really be careful tomorrow. And that doesn't work because it makes us feel horrible. And if you talk to almost anybody and say, when you're feeling like a failure, when you're feeling defeated, when you're feeling ashamed and you're feeling guilty, what do you end up doing? Almost everybody would say, I just give up and keep eating because it doesn't matter. Like if you've decided you've already failed, then why would you say no to an extra portion of a food that you really like? And so that's a huge skill that I work with, both in my physician coaching clients, and also my obesity medicine patients of the skill of getting back on track, the skill of being like, okay, that happened, what could I learn from it? How could I speak compassionately to myself about it? And then what do I need to do to just simply get myself back on track without making it this big deal that takes all this effort to get back on track?
0: A hundred percent, my friend. That's exactly where I focus on. Because again, like I remind my patients, this is not a disease of willpower this is not a moral failing. This is not anything. I mean, I just gave a talk yesterday to a local county correctional facility, to their CEOs and the sheriff and the prosecutor's office and all the things. And like going through that And and food goes through those same neurological pathways. And just reminding yourself that like, this is neurochemistry rather than I'm just not strong enough or I'm not ready for this or fuck it and just go on a bend or, you know, that kind of thing. And I tell people, because so many of my patients are incapable of self-compassion, to borrow my voice and think, Mm -hmm. what would Dr. Wiseman say in this situation? Just so that they start to have an alternative chorus in their brain whenever their brain is offering them, like, you're a fuck up. You can't do this. You're a loser. You're an addict. You know, all the mean things that our brains want to give to us. And yeah, that exact question of, you know, when somebody comes in, my quote is always I don't demand perfection. I just demand honesty so we can talk through things. They say, hey, Dr. Wiseman had a slip up or their urine drug screen is positive for something. You know, almost 99% of people now tell me the drug screen is just a formality. And, and it's the exact question I use is like, okay, what can what can you learn from this? Like, what did you learn? And I had one patient, he said, you know, I didn't inject it, I just snorted it. And that's a really big step for me. And I'm like, yeah, exactly, that's a huge step. Like we just cured your hepatitis C. So you not returning to needle use is a big deal, buddy. And I said, you know, I, I think you have to take that as a learning step. And then you, we just move forward on this because in our clinic, we don't terminate because of return to use. Now, if you get violent with me or my staff, you know, or there's a safety issue, yes, you will be. But anything else is no, like, okay, so what do we need? What do I need to do? What does the treatment team need to do to help support you? You know, and I always say like, fall down seven, get up eight. Like, that's what we're here for. And it's been... It's been amazing seeing the difference in the shift in clinic with this mentality rather than, well, tough love, still love. Yeah, totally. And you know, another question I really like asking in, in that setting
1: where somebody feels like they've failed is what was working before. Because in that moment, and I've seen this in myself, in my own journey, when you feel like all the old habits are back, our brains are such great editors, it's hard to remember that things were working before. And so unless we shift our brains back and your patient in front of you might not be capable of that, but asking them what were the things that were really effective that you were really finding useful before, how can we then put them into place now? So like when, you know, what Aaron and I are talking about is using a bit of a coaching approach with patients and for people listening might be like, okay, but how do I do that in a visit? Simple questions like that can be like really, really powerful and don't take a ton of time.
0: And you can see that like pop of awareness too, just like when I'm sitting with another physician and coaching. So like, let's bring this back. Cause I mean, as doctors, we are people too, we have addiction issues, we have weight issues. And I feel like a lot of this probably mirrors in your coaching practice. Yeah. It's very similar. And so you don't, of course, don't prescribe when you're coaching, just like I don't prescribe when I'm coaching, but I know the learning about self compassion, specifically through Kristen Neff several years ago, has metamorphosized my brain. And so I am always, and again, like I think as doctors, we have a really hard time getting to that place where it's actually okay and we have permission to be nice to ourselves and like changing that narrative. And I didn't get it like the first week or the first month or even the first year. After doing this more and more and more, I I can finally, instead of where it was like an attack on myself, like, come on, Aaron, get going. You know, like, this is what you need to do. I can now find myself time. Like this morning, for instance, I was about 15 minutes late for our phone call. I would have been on my drive here, been like, damn it, Aaron, what the fuck were you doing this morning? You need to get there because, you know, Siobhan is waiting for you. And instead, I was like, you know what? She's a really great friend. It'll be Okay everybody's late sometime. And I kind of stepped back and I was like, ooh, change a narrative. So talk a little bit about that, how you help us as your fellow colleagues and your coaches in this journey as well.
1: I absolutely agree with you that being nice to ourselves as physicians is one of the hardest things for physicians to get. And we were just in my coaching call last night with my group, we were talking about unconditional love for ourselves and what conditions do we put on that. So, we're brainstorming like, okay, when I say I'm going to love myself unconditionally, what actually comes up? And we've made a whole list and what it actually looks like if you were to ever do this is essentially this list looks like we can love ourselves unconditionally when we become perfect. (laughs) So it's like, I, you know, don't get irritated at my kids. I, you know, spend time with my family. I'm doing a really good job at work. Uh, my patients really like me. Everybody's happy with me. Like there's all these things that we put on this condition of actually accepting ourselves and loving ourselves.
0: Isn't that amazing too? It's like that verbiage. I find for me is when I can drop the win and add and. I can love mm. myself self unconditionally self and, and life can be a shit show. Totally. And that's what we talked about
1: is the like, it's unconditional love is I love myself and I'm really irritated at my kids right now. <laughs> and my partner is driving me crazy or my partner complained about how I keep the kitchen clean or whatever, right? But I still love myself. But I think what makes it hard as physicians or why we get into this pattern is the high achieving mindset. And the hoops we have to jump to get where we are, so we push ourselves, and we worry that we might not be good enough. So we push ourselves that little bit further, and then we assume it's that like real drive and real pushing ourselves and holding ourselves to a very high standard that actually helps us be successful. And often with the my physician clients, we talk about like what if we're successful despite all of that. What if we would have been successful even if we talked really nicely to ourselves the whole time? Because we don't know. We assume it was the pushing ourselves and holding ourselves to a high standard and being a bit tough with ourselves that got us here, but we don't know, because we only tried one way. And it comes through with eating and weight. As physicians who have weight issues or who feel out of control around food, I work with physicians who have binge eating too. um, So that's just another layer of it. We really try the tough love and often physicians really view that weight thing, the eating thing as a failure, as something really going wrong in an otherwise fairly successful life. And it just, it doesn't work. Like it it ends up where we make ourselves feel crappy about our body, our eating. It makes us undervalue all of the things amazing things we do every day and it doesn't help us with success in the weight loss or the feeling more in control of eating. The path forward is compassion and self-compassion like what you're talking about. That is the approach that actually helps you do anything consistently. That's the approach that lets you problem solve and get out of that black and white pass-fail type mindset that doesn't work for weight loss and eating And And let you be like, okay, well, totally, yeah. (laughs) Let's you be like, okay, today I decided to eat ice cream, but I'm allowed to eat ice cream, and tomorrow I'm going to, like, I'm just back to the stuff that works for me. I talk a lot, both with my obesity medicine patients and with my um, physician clients, we talk a lot about, I'm an adult, and I'm allowed to eat whatever I want. Because- Empowerment in food choices, I think, is very, very important. And it's the opposite of what we've been taught weight loss should look like. We've been taught weight loss should be, I can, I can only eat this, I'm not allowed to eat that. And if I eat some of this, I therefore have failed. And that black and white thinking creates that those big swings we are talking about, where you're like, okay, I'm, you know, doing well, I'm on my diet, and then I'm fell off the diet, fell off the wagon, whatever you want to call it. And It's like these huge swings. What we work on and what I think is really important for long-term weight management is stabilization of the eating. So instead of huge ups and downs, you may have variations, but you want them to just be smaller variations. And the place to do that is by feeling empowered in your food choices. So I know some people listening will be like, if I told myself I could eat whatever I want, or if I tell my patients that everybody's going to go off the rails and just eat all the things all the time. It's really interesting because it doesn't happen that way. So if you say to yourself, I'm an adult, I can eat whatever I want, but I have reasons why I don't eat everything. So this comes back to what you and I were talking about is coming at weight loss from a place of positivity, meaning I have happy reasons, good reasons why I want to do this for myself. I'm not doing it just because I hate myself and think my body's wrong the way it is, but I want to feel better. I want to have more energy. I want to feel like I move better. All Those are just examples. You can have whatever you want. Then that makes the food decision feel easier. So I'm gonna give you an example for anybody who's having a hard time kind of picturing this. I have 12 year old twin daughters who love to bake. I eat low carb. My children often bake cupcakes, cookies, all the things. And then as 12-year-olds do, leave them just sitting out (laughs) instead of putting stuff away. And it's something I've had to work on. So I don't go there into the kitchen and go, oh, there's cupcakes. I can't eat that. I shouldn't eat that because there's sugar and, and carbs in it. I used to. I spent a good number of years in my weight loss trying that route for similar things, and it didn't work. What I do is I'm like, okay, there's cupcakes. I could totally eat a cupcake. But do I actually want to? because that cupcake will taste good right there. But then, you know, in an hour, what would it be like in two hours? How am I going to feel? And, or I could choose to not eat the cupcake. I could get a cupcake anytime I decided I really wanted a cupcake because I'm allowed to eat them when I want them. And how am I going to feel if I choose that route in an hour, in two hours tomorrow? And so it becomes a conversation of I could totally eat the cupcake, but here's why I'm not today. Here's why I'm going to choose to just be okay with them being on the counter and not eating them today. And when you take that approach, it really changes the experience of making food decisions. It takes the struggle away. Like when you hear me talk about it, there's no, there's none of that tug of war that we often get into of, I, I really want it, but I shouldn't have it. I really want it, but I shouldn't have it back and forth. It's just this logical kind of discussion that you're having with yourself. And if there's a day where you decide, yeah, you know what? I really do want a cupcake today. Then you eat the cupcake. You enjoy the cupcake. Because that's something else we do is when we do eat the foods, we don't stop to enjoy them. You enjoy it, and then you just get back to your normal. And you just get back to what was working. One cupcake doesn't destroy all the work you put in for weeks. It's if we make that cupcake mean this huge, then means we, you know, start eating old habits for days and weeks. That's what gets in the way. But the cupcake doesn't.
0: Yeah, it's just a cupcake. That's all it is. And I can imagine, too, it has probably improved your relationship with your daughter's baking instead of being like dang it why are you guys doing this again instead you can be like i'm really glad you're doing your hobby and there's cupcakes you know and and just because i think that's been one of the biggest things that i noticed besides the internal dialogue for myself is when now that i have compassion and i have to practice it all the time because sometimes it sneaks back in When I have compassion for myself and for my life and for my actions, it's so much easier to have those compassion and be able to sit in the gray zone with everyone around me and in my patient interactions.
1: And when you feel like empowered and compassionate about food choices, what that translates to is not being afraid of food environments. Like that's kind of what you're referencing. I could be very like, oh, you guys want to bake again? Oh, but then there's going to be food around and it's going to be hard for me to manage. Or the classic, be, you know, like the staff room at 3 p.m., the donuts that <laughs> happen to be there. Those sorts of things, it's really easy to be afraid of the food environment. And that's why I've come to this approach of like, I'm an adult. I can eat whatever I want. I could eat those donuts. but is that truly what I want? Because sometimes the compassionate thing for ourselves is to not eat, right? Like sometimes the eating is not actually compassionate. It's to kind of tell yourself you failed. Like there's a lot of physicians and patients who describe the eating as a punishment to themselves. And so bringing it back to, it's my decision if I eat, it's not my doctor who tells me to, follow some sort of food plan that decides what I eat. It's always my decision. And I think this is really important when we're dealing with patients, but also when we're dealing with it in our own life. And I think it really, just to bring up like the mindset, the diet mentality that we've all been raised in, always wants us to flip to the most restrictive version So when we are talking to patients about weight and like if we talk to them about eating low carb, for example, um, our mindsets will be, okay, I need to be keto then to be successful and really working on that empowerment of it's not about how restrictive can you go, it's about what version of this do you think you can be happy maintaining where you can eat food that you really like, you can enjoy and feel satisfied by the food you're eating And it works in your life, so you can do it even on those busy weeks. You can do it long-term so that you have that stabilization of the eating. So you're not like always swinging, I'm low carb or keto today, and tomorrow I'm just you know eating all the carbs again. You're really working on like stabilizing it, where maybe you generally eat relatively low carb, but occasionally choose to have foods that have carbs or sugars in them, and then you just get back to the relatively low carb. Um, But it's a much more kind of stable with less fluctuation approach. And it comes from that empowerment.
0: Talk about your podcast. Talk about all your things in case there's somebody out there listening who you have like (laughs) blown their mind. Perfect. So the podcast is called Thriving as a
1: Physician, How to Lose Weight and Love Your Life. And what I teach you is a lot of what we've talked about, this empowerment stuff of like, how do you actually approach this? in a way that's very life-affirming. So I am not about like, let's just stick to diet just to lose weight. It's about everything we do to lose weight should make our lives better. And at the same time, let's work on making overall our lives better because they're so connected. So the podcast is a great place to start. Like I said, it used to be called Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast just for anybody listening who might have listened to it a while back, but um, same podcast, all the old episodes are still there. Same great content. And then if you're a physician and you want help with this where you're listening and you're like, that sounds really good. I want that direct support in doing this in my life. I have Thrive Academy for Physicians, which is a six-month group coaching program where we dig in deep and you get lots of opportunity for direct support. Plus, you get to learn from other physicians um, as you kind of watch them go through their own journey. Oh, and I guess um, thrivephysicians.ca is where you would find out more about that.
0: Forgot the website. Good, good. We'll put it all in the show notes. Thank you for being patient with me this morning, and thank you for sharing so much. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Erin. All have heard it takes a village to raise a child. But you know what else? After raising that child, and once that kid has grown up, it takes a community to care for them. Communities are what keeps us sane. They help us heal our trauma, they dance with us when we're winning. Without my online communities, I would have never made it through burnout. And I certainly would have gotten through the shitstorm of this pandemic either. If you too need community, I want to invite you over to my badass slack group. That's right, I'm not going to be on Facebook, but I do love me some slack. It's a place where you'll find that you're not the only one. You're not alone. You'll get total validation on what's going on with you. There's a pool of resources. Community is active and ready to welcome you in. We are all helpers who have needs. And sometimes we need to have a community that can surround us, protect us, give us a hug, and lift us up. And that's what the Badass Slack community is. So come join me today. Link is in the show notes. Friend, please remember that I've got your back. Anything and everything that you need, just drop me an email or head over to Dr. Key's website and her podcast and you can get some more tips from her. So remember, friend, as always, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See ya!
2: Limbs and heavy lids short.